Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here with us this morning, whether in person, both online. My name is Bill Berg. I'm the lead pastor here. So glad that you're here with us as we change over from, obviously, summer to fall. There's an exit going on, right? There's a, a change going on. And so we're in this new series starting today called Exit Strategy, Walking Towards a New Life. Because we're all feeling it, right? We all have these, these new rhythms that fall bring, whether it's uh, you have kids and it's school, whether it's, hey, you're starting to put things away in the backyard, right? Or you already got the rake out and, and working over the lawn. You're starting to think, oh, I need to get rid of my short sleeves and I got to bring out the long sleeves. And there's, there's these transitions going on. And so that's why we wanted to do this series called Exit Strategy. Now, I don't know if you've heard lately about exit signs, but they're on their way up. Okay, come on, come on, work with me here. I was in the library, the new library in Cambridge, just last week, and I saw this sign on the emergency exit that said, this door is alarmed. And I walked away, and I'm like, well, I wonder what startled it, you know? <laughs> Listen, every Minnesotan during these days start thinking about, man, I wish I could exit Minnesota to warmer weather, but then we get cold feet. <laughs> so if you walk into a bathroom and you're an American, and then you exit the bathroom and you're an American... What are you when you're in the bathroom? European. <laughs> Boy, you guys wake it up. You know, I asked my wife, can I tell that joke? Because, oh, yeah, that's a cute joke. You should tell that joke. And that, so, I, I mean, she works with third through fifth graders, all right? I'll just tell you that. So I, was, so I could get away with it, right? But I'm, I'm saying these things because I want you to get in your mind over this series, this whole idea about exiting, this whole idea about this exit strategy for an area of your life that has imprisoned you, okay? Because today as we start this series called Exit Strategy, Walking Towards a New Life, we're going to be going through the Old Testament book called Exodus. And the reason that we picked this book for this series called Exit Strategy is because it's all about the leaving of the Israelites out of Egypt, them leaving a status, a situation where they are imprisoned in a foreign country by a foreign people, and they're looking for an exit strategy. And so today we're going to be looking at their status and reflecting and looking at our status. Now, every person that is caught in an imprisoning situation and recognizes their status is looking for an exit strategy. Whether one is stuck in traffic, stuck in a job, stuck in a harmful relationship, stuck in a financial crunch, stuck with a lemon of a car, stuck in an addiction, stuck in fear, 
or stuck in a bad blind date, right? We are all looking for an exit strategy from that which is imprisoning us. Now, some of these examples that I just shared are minor. You know, they're minor examples. But some of these examples I shared are major, right? And they imprison us to an extent, and we want out. We're looking for an exit strategy, right? Now, last month, I emailed out to the church as a whole that this October, I'll be having surgery for cancer. And that is not something that I want in my life, right? It's something I don't have control over. It's something that you could say imprisons me right now. But I have an exit strategy for surgery in October with the whole goal of ridding it from my body. That is the goal, right? That is the hope. That is the plan, right? And so for each one of us in the room, we potentially are imprisoned by something. And we want an exit strategy. So I want to start with the book of Exodus. And I want to start, obviously, in the most obvious place, chapter 1. And I want to look at how chapter 1 and Egypt's relationship with Israel parallels our relationship with our enemy, Satan. And so in chapter 1, we read this. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Okay, so chapter 1, verse 8. A key line in this whole story. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came into power. You see, Joseph, if you've read the story or been to the musical, Joseph and the Amazing Coat of Colors, right? Joseph was sold by his older brothers, who was then sold again in Egypt to Potiphar. And as Joseph was in Egypt the king of Egypt had a dream of five fat cows and five scrawny, skinny cows. And no one could interpret it. But word got out that Joseph could. So he came and interpreted the dream for the king. And he said, listen, Egypt is going to have seven years of incredible harvest. That's the fat, healthy cows. But it's going to be followed by seven years of incredible famine. That's the scrawny cows. And so Joseph says, I would recommend for seven years, make sure that you are putting away grain and rice, putting it away so that you can survive the seven years of famine. And the king was so impressed, he put Joseph over the land of Egypt, this Israelite, over the land of Egypt. 
He had power. He had wealth. His family had all they needed. The Israelites were favored. But then Joseph and his family dies. A new king comes into power over the Egyptians and the Israelites. And it says, a new king whom Joseph meant nothing. And how does this parallel to us? This parallels to us, number one in your outline, Satan doesn't care about our position. He does not care about our position. We see in Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27, right away, that you and I, everybody born, is made in the image of God. It says clearly, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So we are created with the characteristics, the attributes of God like him. We're different than any other part of creation. We're special, right? But when it comes to Satan, this means nothing to him. Just like the king of Egypt, Joseph meant nothing to him. His position in the kingdom prior to meant nothing to him. And for us, created in God's image before Satan, whoop, whoop, it means nothing to him. But you take that a step farther. Everybody that is born with breath is created in the image of God, right? But you take it a step further. Those who call upon the name of Jesus as Savior and Lord then become God's children, John 1, 12. But to all who believed him, Jesus, and accepted him, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. So now we are in this position where we are in God's family. We are his children. But Satan's not impressed. This still means nothing to him. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. So because Satan doesn't care about our position with God created in his image, children of God, Satan, secondly, deals with us shrewdly. Let's pick up the story in chapter one. So look, he said to his people, the king, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them and they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. And so the king of Egypt, because he could care less about who Joseph was and the position of the Israelites, that he said, let's deal now with them shrewdly. The word shrewdly literally means cunning, crafty, sly, sly. I mean, just that just the word, right? Sly. I mean, it, it, it's good at deceiving people, right? And we all know and have been around sly or shrewd people, right? I remember one day walking into my mother-in-law's house, now deceased, um, and seeing a security system right in the middle of her kitchen wall. And I'm like, Mom, <laughs> when, when did you decide to get a security system. 
you know, says, oh, well, this nice young man was knocking on my door one day and that, and so I thought it would be a good thing to get the security system and all that. And I'm like, well, how does it work? I mean, you know, where's it from? And I'm like, well, I'm not sure. I don't know. Well, we find out, like, can't find information on it, was never hooked up, but she's got this monthly fee. You know, and I'm thinking, here's a guy that could care less about my mother-in-law's position, an elderly widow, zero respect for her, right? Zero respect for her, comes in and shrewdly deals with her. I mean, that gets your bubbles going as a son-in-law, right? Gets you going. But this is how Satan deals in our life as well. We saw it right away in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Life is good. Life is perfect. And this is what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty, shrewd, than any of the wild animals the Lord God made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So right away brings doubt, right, into her mind. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. <laughs> you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan comes in. He says, listen. You know, God doesn't want you to mess with that tree because if you eat it, you will be God yourself. You won't need him. You just boot him. Be God yourself. You know, how's that been going for us, right? But how many times does Satan shrewdly whisper lies in our ears? You're not good enough. You can't do that. God doesn't really love you. <laughs> Are you kidding? He will never forgive you for that. <laughs> and remember, it's the eighth time you did it. Never. Right? People don't want to be around you. You'll never get out of your present status, your situation. You're better off not even being around. Nobody cares. Why does Satan take this approach? Because like the Egyptians, the Egyptian king over the Israelites, thirdly, Satan's desire is for ultimate oppression in our lives and obliteration. Oppression and obliteration. Let's just pick up the story again in chapter 1. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Rasmussus as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. 
In their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shephra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivering stool, if you see that a baby is a boy, kill him, but let the girl live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do, and they let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you not killed the boys? The midwives answered, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. But then here's Pharaoh's plan B. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. The king of Egypt could care less about the position of the Israelites, about who Joseph was in history and how he saved literally Egypt and the land from starvation. He dealt with them shrewdly with his ultimate goal and desire to oppress them and obliterate them. And that's a picture of our enemy, Satan, in our lives. And if you're thinking that, oh, I don't know if I even believe in Satan in that. Well, that's part of his shrewdness right there. Is that, ah, he doesn't exist. Doesn't matter in my life. Oh, yeah, he does. And he's got you in the position he wants you in with the desire to oppress you in any way he can and ultimately obliterate you. 1 Peter 5.8, pretty clear. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That word devour (laughs) gives a picture of oppression and obliteration. That is his desire. That is his goal in our lives. Just like the king of Egypt over the Israelites wanted to oppress and obliterate them, our enemy, Satan, wants to oppress us and obliterate us. He wants to keep us as far away from a relationship with Jesus Christ as he can, period. And he will do whatever it takes. But here's our hope. Here is our hope. Our hope comes in the name of the book we're going through, Exodus, right? Because it means a going out, a departure from. And this whole idea that because of Jesus Christ and because of his victory on the cross, we can have an exit strategy for any area of our life that we are imprisoned by and walking through. And that's what we will see as we unfold this story in Exodus. Although the story starts here, that Satan could care less about our position. He could care less if he deals with us shrewdly, that he wants to oppress and obliterate us. 
we will see in the weeks to come. Just like God provided for Israel, God provides for us and gives us an exit strategy out of our imprisonment. So what is your status today? Where are you at today? Are you imprisoned maybe by a failure? Are you imprisoned by a fear? Are you imprisoned by maybe some deep bitterness or unforgiveness that you have not been able to release in your life? Are you imprisoned by anxiety or an addiction? What is that that has you behind bars? And Jesus says, come to me because I am your savior and I am your ultimate exit strategy. So if that is your desire this morning, if you have never received him or known him as savior and Lord, or if you have, but yet have been imprisoned, then I invite you to start today in your relationship with him and his exit strategy for you. And so let's bow our heads and I invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, you know my heart and you know what today imprisons me and has held me in bondage. And I open my hands, I open my heart, my mind and I release it unto you and I accept you and claim you and acknowledge you as my Savior and Lord that ultimately you are my only exit strategy for this life and heading into the next thank you that my position is in you that I'm created in your image and that I'm your child. So may I fix my eyes on you. In Jesus' name.